This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. I kept looking out the window as we drove, realizing we were heading into the city, which I knew was not the way home. And in the corner of my eye, I see a man walk across the hallway, but like in the master bedroom. So I'm freaked out. At this point, I'm a bit afraid not to answer. He says, would you die for a random person you didn't know? From Disturbed Media, Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone. Happy 2023, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that are sure to terrify and horrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into a new year of horror. We're back from our holiday break, and we're ringing in the new year the best way we know how, with some true horror. So buckle up. We open the show with an anonymous email submission featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we can't explain the strange happenings. Much like many of your listeners, I've been listening for a while and enjoying every minute of the podcast. Due to my job and where I work, I am hesitant to tell this story to anyone that I work with, friends or family but I feel very comfortable with this audience. As a somewhat skeptic of paranormal activities, it was the last thing that I ever thought I would experience. Well, late one snowy, cold Sunday evening after the weekend activities on Primus had completed, I was given permission to go back to my place of work to get some food supplies that were going to go to waste if not used. I had intended to get the supplies and give them out to the needy as necessary. I will not say which branch or go further into detail about my job. However, I will say that I work for a very respected branch of the Canadian federal government. Now, as a result of my position with the government, for nearly a decade, part of my training has made me very vigilant of my surroundings. That being said, prior to my entering the building, I drove around the compound checking the parking lot and doors as I was entering alone late in the evening. Once the exterior of the building was found to be all clear, I then entered and did an interior check for people. I wasn't necessarily looking for anything nefarious. I was ensuring that I was in fact alone as I thought I would be. After being satisfied that I was the only person in the building, I began up the set of stairs that led to the kitchen where my colleague had advised me where I would find the food supplies. The staircase rounds up and to the left, if you're ascending. 
and the stairs are well over 100 years old and wooden. Now, at the top of the stairs, you can take a left and enter an office-type area, go straight out to the balcony area overlooking a large open area, or to get to the kitchen, you need to make a right turn. Looking down a short hallway, approximately 50 meters, is the kitchen where I was gleefully working away, smile on my face at the thought of the good I was preparing to do for my community. Approximately 10 minutes or so into rummaging through the boxes of supplies, picking, choosing, and organizing the various items as I found fit for donation, I began to hear the familiar sounds of creaks and footsteps ascending the stairs that I'd previously mentioned. A few moments passed, long enough for someone to get to the top, and I began looking down the hall to greet whoever it was in the building with me long after normal working hours. After not seeing or hearing anyone, I began working away again, thinking that perhaps the person on the stairs was frightened at the sounds that they may have been hearing, possibly thinking that they were alone as well when they entered. I mean, my logic at the time was that they would hear me working and come say hello just as I had awaited them. Well, more time passed and still I hadn't been greeted by anyone, so I stopped what I was doing and began to investigate. Thinking that the person may have gone to a different part of the building rather than not the kitchen to see what was happening, I set off towards the sound of where the footsteps were last heard. I looked in the stairwell, out to the balcony, and then to the office area. No sign of anyone. As I mentioned in the beginning, it was a snowy night, so if someone had been there, logically there should be wet footprints on the ground as I had left myself when I entered. But still, no sign of anyone. I decided to investigate the entire building once again in order to say hi and bye to whomever it was that entered the building shortly after I did. But there were no signs of anyone in the building, and all the office doors were closed and locked. An important note that I forgot to mention earlier is that the building has upgraded lighting systems that have motion sensors which automatically turn on lights when there's movement. That being said, there was no lights on in any of the offices when I was conducting my impromptu patrol. And lastly, I checked the doors and parking lot for vehicles and found they were still secured and no signs of vehicles in the lot apart from my own. Once again satisfied that I was in fact alone in the building, I trekked back up the stairs and down the hall to retrieve my supplies from the kitchen and finish where I had left off. Needless to say at this point I was thoroughly creeped out and moved with haste in order to get me out of there as quickly as possible. After I finished my sorting and gathering, I went down the stairs, locked up the building, and out to my car with no further sounds or paranormal encounters. For last notes, I would like to say that I do appreciate skepticism, as I stated that I too am a skeptic. However, I feel like I must say it was not normal bump-in-the-night type building settling sounds. They were the clear and unmistakable sounds of a person going up the stairs. And it wasn't so late that it was a sleepy hallucination, nor was I drinking. And due to my position with the government, I do not and cannot use drugs. Knowing that the building is over 150 years old, it's not crazy to think that it could be haunted. However, in my nearly 10 years working there, I have never had an experience, nor have I had one since. I'm very intrigued and interested by what I experienced on that night nearly two years ago. I'm open, and if I'm being completely honest, slightly hopeful for more experiences. It, just as long as they stick to my work and don't happen in my home. Yeah, hey, this is Mike calling from Virginia. 
I gotta tell you, I'm a, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I have, and you know, throughout my life, I found you, and I just can't thank you enough for every little piece of your podcast. The、uh, the way that you put this thing together, from the music, the people that read the stories, and the stories themselves, it really makes long drives and long walks. Something enjoyable. I'm 60 years old, and I walk my dogs three miles every day. And I, the only thing that makes it so awesome is to when I get to put on one of your podcasts that I haven't heard yet. So thank you, thank you very much. Thank everybody that that reads for you, and everybody, everybody that has anything to do with putting it together. You guys are awesome, and、uh, I think you're making life a lot better for a lot of people around the world. Thank you and stay safe. Up next, we have an email submission from Ashley, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas, and we get taken. So this happened when I was five years old. I lived in an apartment in East Orange, New Jersey, at the time with my parents. The town wasn't the safest of places in certain areas, but being a kid, I never felt scared, and my parents were always making sure I was safe. We had a few neighbors in the apartment complex we lived in. One being an African family with two kids, one boy and one girl. My routine was the same on school days. My parents would drive me to school and then walk me down the block and up the hill to my elementary school. On this walk, we often met up with said neighbors as their kids went to the same school. My parents would talk to their parents, and I'd talk to the kids about whatever interested us that day. I'd get dropped off, walk in with the teachers, and attend the classes. After school, I'd wait with my teacher and be handed off to my parents. We'd walk the short distance down the hill and up the block to the car, sometimes with that same family, get in our respective cars, and go home. One day, we did this routine, and my parents dropped me off and said they'd see me later at pickup. I kissed them goodbye, and off I went to school. The day was normal. Once school was over, I went back out with my teacher and those two kids to wait for our parents like usual. Only this time, my parents didn't come. They were late. Now this was before cell phones, so my teacher just said to hang tight and we'd wait. I remember being a little nervous because my parents were always on time. During all this, the two kids' parents had arrived and went straight up to the teacher. They told my teacher that my parents had sent them to pick me up and take me home because we lived in the same apartment complex. The parents then looked down at me and said, "Come on, Ashley. Your mom and dad told us to come and get you." I remember feeling uneasy and afraid. I wasn't quite sure why because I knew this family; they did live in our complex, and they had been nothing but nice to us since we'd known them. The teacher, I remember, was a little apprehensive, but then allowed me to go with them. And so I went. They put me in their car, buckled me in, and we drove off. I was sitting on the passenger side of the car next to the window. The dad was driving. I remember him looking back at me and smiling, almost as if to reassure me that I'd be home soon. I remember looking out the window on the ride that I thought was toward home. I was only five then, but as I said, this was a daily routine, and I knew the journey home was down the hill and a turn left down the street. But we were going right. 
I felt a little panic set in, but I guess I just told myself they're going another way. I kept looking out the window as we drove, realizing we were heading into the city, which I knew was not the way home. This made me more scared and panicked. I began to cry because I didn't know where we were going, but I knew it wasn't home. The father then said something to the mother that I couldn't hear, and then the mother turned around to face me with an attempt at a nurturing smile. She then said, everything is going to be okay, Ashley, and then looked to her kids and told them to tell me, don't cry. The kids looked at me and I to them as they both reassuringly said together, don't cry, and began patting me on the shoulder. This did not make me feel comfortable at all, and I began a wailing cry because I knew I wasn't going home. I just knew it. I remember thinking I was never going to see my parents again. I also thought, do they even know where I am? Will they ever find me? I want to go home. All of these things rushed through my mind in an instant. I then saw that traffic was up ahead. I looked out the back window, still in my seatbelt, crying for my parents, when I saw my dad sprinting down the street. It didn't register at first. I could hear him yelling my name. I looked ahead and pointed to my dad. The mother told me to calm down and we'd be home soon. I said, but daddy is there. I didn't understand why they weren't stopping. And then we hit traffic and a red light. My dad caught up and flung the door open and unbuckled me, taking me out of the car. He told me to go to my mom. I looked around crying and saw my mom getting out of another car that I didn't recognize. I ran to her and hugged her while sobbing. I looked back at my dad. I didn't know what he was saying because I was so scared and confused at the time. He was flailing his arms and yelling at the other kids' parents. I don't remember anything else from that day, but as the years went on, things changed for me. Pickup now also had a routine. I had a safe word which no one but me my parents and the teacher knew. It would change from time to time for security. When I came of age for sleepovers or parties, I was not allowed to go. When I rode my bike, I could only go within their sight and could not go around the block. Not until we moved to a rural area. My dad began working at the schools I went to as a maintenance man to keep an eye on me and my sister when she was born. He transferred to every school we ever attended, which for me was annoying. My sister too, I'm sure. Especially when trying to make friends and talk to boys. But looking back now, I know that was just fear and concern and I can understand. I have asked over the years what happened that day. And this is all I know and all they will share. My parents were on their way to get me that day. But halfway there, their tire went flat. They didn't have a cell phone then so they couldn't alert the school they'd be late. Eventually, another parent saw them and picked them up and drove them to the school. When they arrived, I was already gone not too long ago. The teacher had informed them that I was given to their neighbors who had said my parents gave them permission to pick me up. My parents obviously did not. They had some choice words for the teacher and rode off with that parent to look for me frantically. They saw the car heading towards traffic and followed. That red light and traffic is what saved me. Had there been no traffic and a green light, my dad wouldn't have gotten to me, as they weren't stopping despite seeing my dad and me alerting them that he was right there. I asked what happened to that family. My parents don't know. I'm not sure if any charges were pressed. They don't like to talk about it as the whole ordeal upsets them, especially my mom. I lived a very sheltered life after that day, 
it wasn't always fun. But I can understand their fear of losing me again. My mom became overwhelmed with fear of me being kidnapped or snatched, even to this day as an adult. I regularly get news articles in my texts from her, warning me to be careful of notes on my car or people following me and to be aware of my surroundings. They hate when I travel to large cities. When I went to Puerto Rico this past summer with my boyfriend, they nearly had a heart attack. I do have a sense of anxiety at times. I'm sure some of it was learned, but I do my best to not let it control me. I don't know if that fear they have will ever go away. My sister has also had to endure this overprotective nature over the years, but she was more rebellious than I was with it. I have no idea what would have happened to me, where I'd be, or if I'd even be alive if my dad hadn't caught up to that car that day. I sometimes wonder if they tried it again since. But to that family that kidnapped me from school when I was little, I hope we never meet again. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. Next up is a listener voicemail from Aubrey, and she has several experiences in the house they built. So these are going to be five different events of paranormal things that happened at this house that we built. And I don't have an explanation for it. And I don't think I ever will. But we built this house when I was about eight. And probably about two to three months of living in this house, I was asleep in my room. And I used to sleep with my door open. I don't know. I just did. I don't anymore because of this. But um, I'm asleep, and then all of a sudden I wake up, and there are an outline of two people in my doorway. But they're not, like, black. They're green. But they're people. (laughs) So they're not aliens or anything, but the outline of two people just in my doorway. Almost like the thermal cameras, how you can see people, but they're green. They didn't do anything. They just kind of were there. And after a few minutes, I blinked, and they disappeared. And I just kind of went back to bed. But ever since then, I kept my door closed because I did not want to play with that. Um, Fast forward about a year, I had actually moved to the downstairs room. And me and my sister were just kind of getting into spooky stuff. So we downloaded one of those funny apps that talks to ghosts or whatever. And we were talking with something and it talked about how it wanted to kill us. And it was a murderer and all of that. So that was very fun. And I wouldn't have mentioned it if it weren't for these other things that happened. So now, fast forward maybe a month or two, I was upstairs. And to kind of explain the layout of the house. So the kitchen was kind of in the right side of the house. And then there was the living room. And then there was a small hallway, which if you went to the left in the hallway, you'd go to the mudroom in the garage. If you kept going straight into the hallway, you'd go straight to the master bedroom and master bathroom and all that. So I was in the kitchen, and if you're standing at the kitchen at the counter, you can see the master bedroom in your peripheral. So I'm standing at the kitchen counter. I'm making myself a sandwich. I'm the only person home. And in the corner of my eye, I see a man walk across the hallway, but like in the master bedroom. So I'm freaked out. I I don't know why. I just grab a knife and I grab my phone. I put it on 911. I'm ready to call. Walk down there. Look in the room. No one's there. So then I, you know, turn the corner really fast. I look in the bathroom and no one's there. And I open the shower. Like nobody was there. So I have no idea. But it was like a full-fledged shadow man or something like that that I saw. Then about five months later, maybe... I was in the master room. I was just taking a nap. I wasn't feeling very good. But right as I was about to fall asleep, all of a sudden I feel like someone is punching the mattress that I'm on. Like just hitting the mattress pad and I can feel it like I'm shaking. And I wake up and no one's there. And so I go out to the living room and this time my sister and my brother were home. And I go out to the living room and I'm like, guys, I don't feel good. Please like just let me take a nap. And my sister's like, neither of us were in there. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, I was so close to sleep. I was imagining things. I don't know. So I head back into the room and I lay back down 
And not even like 30 seconds later, I'm not even asleep anymore. But about 30 seconds later, I feel like someone just lays on me and I cannot breathe. And I already have pretty severe asthma. So my siblings know that they cannot make me not breathe because I'll have a panic attack and then I'll send me to the hospital. So it's already like a no-go. They know not to do that. But I just feel like someone's laying on me and for some reason, like I can't open my eyes. And after maybe 10, 15 seconds, of course it feels like even longer, I finally can open my eyes and still nobody's there. So I run back out to the living room and I'm like, you can't do that. Like stop bugging me for one, but for two, stop making me not breathe. And again, my sister says, neither of us were in there. We're both just sitting here and they were in the same exact spot. So after that last event, I actually mentioned it to my mom and I was like, mom, I have to tell you about all the stuff that has happened. I don't know why I haven't told her up to this point, but I decided to. And she actually told me that she was home. She was in the master room. And again, it's kind of right next to the mud room and where you'd come in through the garage. And she's in the closet of the master room. And she hears the door to the garage, like the car door to the garage, open and shut. And then she hears someone come in through the mudroom door and walk in the house. And she thought that it was her husband at the time. So she goes, oh, hey, like, do you want me to make you a sandwich? Like, I didn't know you are coming home early from work, blah, blah, blah. But she doesn't get a response. She's like, that's weird. So she tries calling out again, like, hey, are you okay? Why are you home early? Still no response. So she walks out of the closet, walks into the living room where she heard the person walk into and there's nobody there. She looks in the mudroom, there's no one there. She even like opened the garage door. The light wasn't even on signaling that the car garage door had opened and shut recently. And there was no other cars in the garage besides her own. And she said she walked around the whole house and no one was there. No one went out any doors or anything because all the doors were locked and she didn't hear any of them open or anything. So she gave me that story and we were a little freaked out, but like I said, we never heard anything. We built that house. So it's not like we bought a house that someone died in or something. And yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know why those happened, but those are my paranormal stories and I wish I could forget them, but I can't. So thank you. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. Up next is an email submission from Ryan, featuring voice work by Tom Eglio, and our dream world and reality collide. I've been listening for a while now, mostly on my lunch breaks at work. I wanted to submit my story, one of many, with the supernatural. Basically, I grew up in a lot of places, and when I was 16, I lived in a legitimately haunted house. That doesn't have much to do with the story I'm submitting today, or maybe it does. I'm 37 now, and about five years ago at this point, I had an experience so terrifying that I had to move my entire bed to a different position in my room in hopes this would never happen again. It was the afternoon and I was a little tired, so I laid down for a nap. I had read a few things about astral projection and I figured I'd give it a shot as I lay there. So I concentrated on the ceiling and cleared my mind. 
nothing really happened, so I allowed myself to just fall asleep. At some point, I started dreaming that I was in my actual bed, laying in exactly the position that I was in when I fell asleep. Light was pouring in through the windows, and I was very upset. I'm not exactly sure why I was, but there was a woman in my room. She has long dark hair, about five foot seven, I'd say, and some kind of jacket over top of a pair of jeans. She crawled into my bed and sat on my stomach, and she got down real close to me and said, It's okay. It's over now. They're all gone. This confused me, even though I was upset in this dream. I had this feeling that something terrible had happened, and I didn't want to know who they were or where they'd all gone. But then I snapped awake and turned to my left. The lights were out, the only light coming from my computer monitor directly next to me. And there she was, the same woman from my dream, shadows across her face, standing beside my bed, staring down at me. I jumped out of my blankets and flicked the ceiling lights on, and she was still standing there, staring, watching me as I moved. I reached out and tried to grab her, and then suddenly she ran. She ran looking back at me until she vanished through the doorway. All of this happened while I was fully awake. The dream has clearly ended and I was not in a clouded state of mind. It didn't even occur to me that I should have been afraid until hours later, nor did I go looking to see if this woman had gone anywhere else. But ever since, I've never seen her again. I don't know who this was or why this happened, but I had a very hard time sleeping for about a week until I forced myself to forget about it. I moved my bed against the wall as position a couch against the other side. From that point forward, I sleep with the TV on, and I don't allow any silence to ever take place while I'm in my most vulnerable state. My name is Ryan, and that's my story. I don't know if we'll ever meet again. And finally, we close out the show with an anonymous submission featuring voice work by Danuta Marie and we meet someone with bad intentions. About four years ago, I was a Lyft and Uber driver around the Chicago area as a part-time job. I would run both apps and whichever called for a ride is the one I would take and turn the other app off during the ride. I was pretty new to driving for Lyft and Uber as I was also a preschool teacher and just wanted some extra money, so I worked as a driver on the side. I had driven maybe a hundred rides or so and never had too many issues. One day, I was working and received a Lyft pickup request at Jewel Osco, which happened to be walking distance from my place. The ride was about 45 minutes long. I liked taking the longer drives since they paid more, though I very rarely canceled on a ride. This is one I wish I had canceled. I picked up, we will call him Joe from Jewel Osco. Joe had two grocery bags and a smaller black backpack. He climbs in the back seat behind the passenger seat. He asked if I would raise the seat up. Not too odd of a request. I lean the seat forward a little ways. He sets his bag between his feet and asks to move my seat up further. I didn't understand as he had plenty of room, but went ahead and leaned it up further. At this point, the seat leaned basically into the dashboard. He then leans up and says, no, I want the seat moved forward, and proceeds to move the front passenger seat closer into the dashboard. Looking back, I should have canceled the ride right then and asked him to get out. But clearly, since I'm sharing my story, that's not what happened. I pick up Joe and start the ride. The way we take to his location passes the local courthouse. We are sitting at the stoplight close to the courthouse when he says, I just came from there. 
Not wanting to know why, I just nod and focus on getting him to his location. When we are about 10 minutes into the drive, he says, I had court today and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I nod and just say, well, I hope everything turns out okay, as I didn't want to be rude and there's many reasons for someone to have court, so I didn't want to jump to conclusion. He says, but I'm sure I will get out of it because I have an expensive lawyer and know very important people. I'm starting to get a little more concerned at this point. First, he wanted my passenger seat moved all the way up, as if he wanted to have easy access to me, and now he's talking about getting away with whatever it is he has done? I stay calm and say, well, I hope everything works out for the best. He says, I don't really want to talk about it. I tell him, that's fine, as I kind of don't really want to know. Joe then starts rummaging through his backpack and has it sitting between his legs at this point, and I can tell he's holding something, but not sure what, as I can't really get clear view through my rearview mirror. He leans forward a bit and says, I hurt someone really, really bad. He was attacking someone, and I went to help, and he got really badly hurt. There's a lump in my throat, and I'm speechless. He continues messing with his bag and says, I know some very high up people and can get my hands on gadgets that normal people cannot. I can do things that most people can't do and am trained how to hurt someone. At this point, I just want him out of my car. But to my luck, there's no place to stop at in sight on this particular road. He's still rummaging through his bag, holding something in his hand, then stops abruptly, pauses for a few long seconds and says, let me ask you something. At this point, I'm a bit afraid not to answer. He says, would you die for a random person you didn't know? I have watched too many crime shows and listened to too many podcasts to envision what could happen next. I do my best to stay calm, not seem terrified, and try to be kind but meet him on his level and try to connect with him. That lump in my throat seems to swell and somehow I manage to answer, well, depends on the circumstance, but short answer, yes. He says repeatedly, that's a good answer, a real good answer. The rummaging in his bag starts again, and he's now holding something again. He says, let me ask you one more thing. How old are you? At the time, I was 24, and I tell him, I'm 24. He says, when were you born? I say, August. He shoves whatever he has in his hand down in his bag and drops his bag to the floor. He says, that's the same as my daughter. And like a broken record keeps repeating, this is weird. This is just weird, just too weird. I finally see a light to the end of the nightmare. I am five minutes from his house and can't get there fast enough. He lives on a cul-de-sac, so I turn my car facing the way out. Leave my car and drive. Unlock the door, and he's getting out, he says. This shirt I'm wearing is a $400 shirt that I would give off my back. Would you do the same? I quickly answer yes. He says, that's good. He grabs his bags, and I barely give him time to shut the door before I sped off. After I've driven a few miles, I pull over and check my car thoroughly to make sure he didn't tag my car. I call Lyft and explain the situation, and they blacklist him to where he wouldn't be able to get me as a driver again. But I wanted him blacklisted from the app so no one else would have to deal with him. They said, we will look into it, but never heard back, of course. So to the creepy Lyft passenger, I hope no other driver, including myself, ever meets you again. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast 
and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale, either in writing or send us a voicemail. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to see all the submission options. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast, or as an Apple user, you can subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts. And a huge thanks to all of our newest supporters that we got over the break. Echo T. Day, Endless Eventide, Kayla Downing, Rebecca Banks, Brittany Montalvin, Kristen Paoletti, Brittany N. Sloan, Ava Giner, Matt Allen, Kristen Armando, Sonny Ansarez, Charlie Smith, Emily Jane Stevens, Aaron Presuti, Janice Augenstein, Claire Rustin, Elizabeth, Amanda Brown, Candace Penny, Evan, Ashley Twitchell, and Joseph Danielson. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.